we begin with a little movie trivia. Who's ready? Name this film, would you? Are you crying? Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. Anyone? Come on. Yes, thank you. That's the line from the surprisingly young Tom Hanks in the 1992 film A League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball. This line underscores an enduring aspect of American culture. There's no crying. Suck it up. Man up. Put on your big girl panties and deal with it. There's no crying in baseball. And there's certainly no crying on Easter. Easter, with all its fanfare and fancy suits and pretty dresses and Easter lilies, there's no crying on Easter. It's a festive day, a day of celebration, a day of victory, a day of hope. There's no crying on Easter. That seems to be the unspoken rule of the day, is it not? The problem is that no one gave Mary Magdalene the memo. On the first Easter day, there was crying. And not just the soft whimper kind, but weeping and wailing and screaming and shouting. Mary Magdalene, the first century Jewish woman and dear friend of Jesus, she didn't get the memo. She is crying on Easter. And they are not tears of, of joy, at least not at first. Perhaps you're crying too this Easter. Or at least perhaps you'd like to be. If only others gave you the permission to do so. If only you gave yourself enough time to truly feel life instead of just rushing through it. Perhaps you'd find yourself crying on Easter as well. Perhaps you might find yourself weeping beside Mary Magdalene, even on a festive day like Easter, as you stare into that hollow cave, a cave that sometimes feels like your life. Emptiness hurts. Mary Magdalene knows that all too well. She stares into the emptiness of the tomb on Easter morning, and it's too much for her to handle, so she cries. Hers are tears of pain, and they are the first tears of Easter. We read about them in the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is one of four trustworthy books that tell the Jesus story. Listen to John's account of the first Easter morning, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, reading from the Common English Bible. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken away the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the, to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up 
in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he had said to her. Friends, this is the good news of Easter, the word of the Lord. Mary's tears are the tears of Easter. We don't know very much about Mary Magdalene. Luke's gospel tells us that she was among the women who had been healed by Jesus. Luke even uses dramatic, violent language, saying that Mary Magdalene was the one from whom seven demons had been thrown out. Seven is symbolic of completion. We can only imagine what Luke meant but this much is certain. Life before Jesus was very, very dark for Mary Magdalene. As dark as it was when Mary made her first trip to the tomb of Jesus, have you ever been acquainted with such darkness? Before she met Jesus, life was very dark for Mary. We might say she was in a dark place, but life with Jesus was altogether different. She was among his traveling companions. She must have marveled at his teachings and adored his character. We don't know much about her, but this much is certain. Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. But as our scripture passage begins today, she now finds herself without Jesus. Jesus has just died a criminal's death. She feels his absence like a newborn without her mother. Now all she wants to do is cry, and she wants to do it right next to the body of Jesus. We all grieve differently, don't we? Some like to talk all about what happened, where they were when they heard the news. Some prefer to remain silent. Some can't stand to see the body, and some must see the body for themselves. I'm told that viewing the body can be of great help 
to the one grieving. That's why we have the tradition of open caskets. Seeing the body for oneself can help the bereaved move past the stage of denial and inch closer to the stage of acceptance. That's Mary Magdalene's preference in our story for today. She wants to see the body of Jesus. She wants to touch him one more time. She wants to grieve while clinging to his feet. And she's determined to get on with the task as soon as possible. So very early on Sunday morning, after the mandatory Sabbath rest, but before the sleepy sun had a chance to get up, she hikes to the tomb. And when she arrives, she is stunned. She sees that heavy stone, which was once set in its grooves. It had been rolled away from the tomb. She stares into the emptiness of the tomb, which mirrors the emptiness in her own hollow soul. When this happens, and this is important, she does not leap for joy because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. No. Seeing the tomb empty does not give her hope. Rather, it only intensifies her grief. When she sets her eyes on the empty tomb, she comes to the same conclusion that any of us would come to if we were to set our eyes on an empty coffin of a loved one. She panics. She's horrified. She's confused. She runs as fast as she can to her friends, and when she sees them, she blurts out, they have taken away my Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Mary assumes that the body had been stolen. They have taken it away, she says. They, meaning the Jewish authorities. Perhaps they were not content with, Ju- with Jesus' humiliation thus far. Perhaps they wanted to ruin his reputation even more, driving it further into the ground by parading his disfigured body all around Jerusalem. Mary couldn't know, but perhaps the horrors were continuing. I suppose this, these were some of the thoughts running through poor Mary Magdalene's racing mind as she raced to see her friends after seeing the empty tomb. I suppose even that Mary, the one from whom seven demons had been driven out, I suppose at this moment she could feel the demons coming back. So when Mary gets to her friend's house, she shares her terror with Peter and the other disciple, presumably the writer of John's gospel. And these two men, they have to see it for themselves. After their foot race, which is a fascinating, odd detail in the scripture, after their race, they both discover that it was just as Mary said it was. Peter wants more information, though, so he dares to duck his head under the low entryway of the tomb, and he steps into the burial chamber. There was almost nothing worth seeing, friends. But he did notice one thing peculiar. The grave clothes of Jesus had been left behind. And not only that, they weren't simply scattered here and there. The face cloth had been folded up neatly. This did not appear to be the work of tomb raiders. Peter didn't know what to make of it, but this is important. He certainly did not jump to the conclusion that Jesus was alive. That was as ridiculous of a possibility for Peter as it sounds to us today. Meanwhile, Mary is standing outside the tomb. 
The text doesn't fill in the details, but I suppose she followed Peter and the other disciple when they went to see for themselves. And after they returned home, I think Mary stayed behind. After all, she was determined to grieve at the feet of Jesus. Verse 11, Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. Can you be brave enough on Easter to see her there, crouched over an empty coffin, crying? Crying is an understatement, really. In the original language, the word chosen denotes not a quiet, restrained shedding of tears, but the noisy lamentation typical of first century Jews in grief. Mary is wailing at the tomb, my friends. She is sobbing. Her clothes are drenched with her tears. At a certain point, she probably loses her breath from crying so hard, only to regain it for round two. Do you know what it's like to cry like this? I pray that you don't. I suspect that you do. But there's no crying on Easter. Preacher, stop talking about sad things on Easter Sunday and get to the happy parts. Hurry on now. There's no crying on Easter. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, there is. If you, if you think there isn't, you haven't read John's Gospel. If you think there isn't, you may just be in denial. What you're wishing for may be not the Christian Gospel, but a happy fairy tale to make life a little more manageable. But Mary, she is crying on Easter, and at some point she peeks into the tomb blurried-eyed, and she faces the reality of death. To her surprise, she sees two angels dressed in white, and they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? Finally, now that the stereotypical angels are in the picture, Mary will finally understand that Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen. Right? <laughs> Not quite. Similar to seeing the empty tomb, seeing the angels does not comfort Mary. They do not give her Easter hope. Instead, they intensify her confusion. Friends, this is John's gospel. Grief-stricken, Mary sticks to her script. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. In other words, she still believes the Jewish authorities are body snatchers who have taken away the disfigured, deceased body of her dear, dear friend, Jesus. The idea of resurrection never crosses her mind. Right after Mary voices her lament to the angels, she turns away from them. She never even gives them a chance to respond. She's in, she's in too much pain, too much, too much grief. She has too many questions. She's too burdened by doubts. She doesn't even want to listen to their perspective. She has made up her mind, and she's not open to changing it. In today's day and age, we would call her a skeptic, at least at this point in the story, so much so that she refuses to be corrected even by the dazzling white angels in the tomb. Meanwhile, I can't help but think that she begins to feel the demons knocking once more of the door, on the door of her heart. I told you, it was a lie, a wishful dream, a childish fantasy. 
I told you Jesus was a fraud. I told you that you are a fool for believing it. You are a silly woman. No one likes you. You don't belong anywhere. See, I told you. Poor Mary Magdalene, haunted once more by the demons that Jesus had once driven out. She turns away from the angels in despair. But when she turns, she bumps into another man. Verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was him. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, who else? She replied, sir, if, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. If we stopped right there at the end of verse 15, we'd have a very different Easter story to tell, wouldn't we? In fact, if Mary Magdalene were among us today, and if she were only the Mary of verses 1 through 15, we would call her a skeptic, maybe an agnostic. I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what's true anymore. Isn't that striking? We are familiar with the fame of doubting Thomas, most of us, but before Thomas, there was Mary Magdalene. And where Thomas's doubts were in his mind, Mary's doubts were in her heart. It's not that she didn't want to believe, she does. It's that she couldn't. Her heart had been broken by the events of the day and the circumstances of her life. Her skepticism is the result of a broken heart. Maybe some of us in our own ways are stuck at verse 15 this Easter morning. I give you permission to own this. Maybe it's not outright skepticism. Maybe it is. In our own ways, we're there with Mary Magdalene without hope. Like the Mary of verses 1 through 15, we have given up hope that there's actually hope to be found at all on Easter morning. And we have our reasons, and we think that they are very good. Maybe we'd even call ourselves Christians, and we are, but we fail to live as Easter Christians. What I mean is that despite the profound promises of new life, even now, promises pouring forth from the lips of the risen Jesus, despite this Easter good news, we've resigned ourselves to the fact that life will pretty much remain miserable So while we wait for heaven, we will just do our best to be happy in the meantime, self-medicate, and limp our way through life. Truth is, we've given up Easter hope. We're resigned to the fact that the marriage will remain tense. We tell ourselves that the addiction is unbeatable, that loneliness is just our lot in life, that depression will never lift, that the busyness will never end, the distance I feel between myself and my kids will never get better, the distance I feel between myself and God is beyond repair. That's what the accuser would have us believe. It's a life without Easter hope, a life without deep joy, and it's the Easter story up until verse 15 in Mary's perspective. But I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, find ourselves like Mary, staring into the emptiness 
this Easter morning. To us, the empty tomb is no sign of hope. It just accentuates the hollowness we feel inside. If we stop to reflect on the fact, which, by the way, we're terrified of doing, we would find ourselves like Mary, shedding the tears of Easter, screaming at the top of our lungs, I can't do this anymore. And that's precisely the moment where it happens. That's it. That's where the recognition begins. Woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Jesus asks Mary. Jesus directs the same questions to you and to me on this Easter morning. Woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for in life? Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. (laughs) Hearing the voice of love, Mary turns toward the face of Jesus and she truly sees for the first time, Rabunai, she declares, which is a very affectionate term for teacher. She's been looking for Jesus the whole time. But she's been unable to really see until now. It's only by the grace of Jesus calling her by name that she sees reality for the very first time. For the first time, Mary sees Easter hope. For the first time, she moves beyond fleeting happiness into deep joy. For the first time, she sees the miracle of all miracles. She sees the beginning of a new creation ushered in by the risen Lord. This new creation, it's available even to the average poor woman, Mary. Even to you and I. When Jesus calls her by name, he does it in the way that only Jesus can. And that's when she sees the good news. She sees that death is not final, either in this life or the next. That hate never has the last word, never. Jesus and his love for the world are alive and well. At this recognition, Mary's tears of grief turn to tears of joy on the first Easter morning, and she announces to the disciples An announcement that rolls down the canyons of time, reaching every continent on planet Earth. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord, she declares. Do you want to experience something like Mary experienced this Easter? Do you want to experience something more this Easter? Do you want to move beyond the stuckness of verse 15? Stuck in your own perspective, stuck behind your own blinders, stuck in your own despair. Do you want to transition from fleeting hope to enduring joy? I do. If you do too, then I'd urge you to follow in the footsteps of the unlikely character Mary Magdalene. Respond to her story by turning toward the face of love. Respond, like Mary, by turning toward the mystery, toward the questions, toward the person of Jesus. Respond by actually 
looking for Jesus. What are you looking for anyways? Look for Jesus in the four Gospels and see if you don't come to love him for yourself. If you've read them before, read them again. Look for Jesus in the beauty and wonder of the new life springing up all around us this time of year. Look for Jesus in the embrace of a friend, in the heart of the poor, in the moment of grief and suffering. Friends, let us respond to Mary's witness by looking for Jesus. Jesus addresses you this Easter just like he addressed Mary by name. He calls you by name in a way that only Jesus can call you by name. He intends to guide you and I out of the dark tomb of verse 15 and into the new light of his resurrection. So may you and I recognize the voice, the voice of the good shepherd of love. May you and I have eyes to see the presence of Jesus alive and well and in our midst even now. May you and I respond by turning to him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And may your tears of pain become tears of joy this Easter. Alleluia. Christ has risen. I've seen the Lord. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. To the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.